we just decided that there, there was so many efforts uh, that were not coordinated happening around the world. Shouldn't we as a country want to end modern slavery? Shouldn't we as a world want to end modern slavery? Shouldn't we want to attack it much like the world attacked HIV? And that right. is put it on a downward trajectory and eventually end it. And so that's when we began creating, again, a public-private partnership. Yeah. Uh, and I can assure you the thoughts, concepts around that 100% came from our experiences here as mayor. There is an initiative that has slowly been making its way through Congress over the past year. But with all the political noise of 2016, chances are you've never heard of it. And that's unfortunate. Because this is something we can all agree on and be proud of. The End Modern Slavery Initiative was finally passed by Congress in December and will be an unprecedented step in fighting modern slavery and human trafficking throughout the world. And here's the really great part. It was authored and championed by our very own U.S. Senator, Mr. Bob Corker. And the Senator was kind enough to sit down for this short interview to discuss some of his time in Chattanooga and the initiative that he hopes will not only fight, but end modern slavery throughout the world. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. Well, Senator Corker, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you, um, especially right around the holidays. And uh, as we're recording this, it's the week before Christmas, and so this will be our, our first episode for 2017. Well, first of all, you know, most of our, our listeners have moved to Chattanooga within the last 10 years, I would right. say. And so it's a younger demographic for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they know that you are our U.S. Senator for this area, for Tennessee. But I don't know if they know your role within the city and kind of the history of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd almost love for you to just start briefly telling us about, you know, you, you, you have a business background. Yeah. But you had a pretty early calling into mm-hmm. public service. And yeah. so I'd love for you just to describe that calling of why you decided to run for office, you know, first back in the 90s. Sure. Well, you know, I, I began working construction as a very young man here I went to city high school and and um, so when I got out of college I started working for a construction company I was a construction superintendent and learned how to build a building and when I was 25 years old had saved eight thousand dollars and went in business and after a few years um, I knew that I was going to be successful economically and uh, long about age 28 um, went on a mission trip to Haiti. It had a huge impact on me, um, more than you can possibly imagine. And yet I had a company that was growing at 80% a year. We were beginning to operate all around the country, and I couldn't be going to mission on mission trips to faraway places. So yeah. began working in our inner city here on Reed and Mitchell Streets, which are off Main Street. And at the time, Reed and Mitchell were very, very different. And so... Yeah. We'd gather on Saturday mornings there and, and help people uh, in the community uh, just fix up their homes or do what was ever what was necessary. In the process of that, I began to realize there were a lot of people here in our community that didn't have decent fit and affordable housing. And I felt that with my background, I could help lead an effort uh, to change that. Um, the most impactful moment was seeing two young boys who were going to the same high school I went to, City High School, living in a home that was 
not fit for animals. It was wow. the worst I've ever seen. So to make a long story short, I started figuring out how I might uh, impact that. And over time in 1984 and 85, created a task force in 1986, led the creation of a nonprofit uh, that ended up helping about 10,000 families. So when it's still in operation that, today, correct? It's, uh, it is. It's, it's, it's you know, uh, in fairness, has lost its way from time to time, but I know that they're rejuvenating the board and rejuvenating their effort, but it was really had had a big impact on so many citizens in its heyday. They're trying to reclaim that, and I hope that they will. But, uh, you know, a, a, a Democratic governor was actually running for office um, and uh, later on, and he had seen what we were doing here in Chattanooga, and he asked me to serve on a task force in Nashville um, and then to serve on the THDA board. And that was really my introduction into the public policy arena. Well, and then you speed that up, and, you know, in 2000 is when you ran for mayor of Chattanooga and won that race. And so you were our mayor here in Chattanooga from 2001 to 2005, correct? That's correct. And so, you know, something that I comes up a lot on this podcast now, you know, I've had a lot of people, um, people like Kim White and Ken Hayes on the podcast, and a phrase that routinely comes up all the time is the Chattanooga way. Right. Right. And uh, it's definitely one of the bigger buzzwords that we hear. Uh, but, you know, as, you know, the mayor of Chattanooga at that time, your name comes up all the time with that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to ask you, what, to, what is the Chattanooga way? Well, it's, it's, it's the Chattanooga way is that we create a bold vision and then we put the pieces in place and actually make it happen. It the, makes us very distinct from other communities. And that ebbs and flows. We go through periods of time when we're really ambitious and big things are done. We go through periods of time when that's not the case. But people, I think here, have a heart and soul that's very different than most communities. And have had the ability to pull together. I mean, during those days, we sure we did the 21st century waterfront during that period of time, which I didn't even campaign on. I <laughs> was elected and realized what a how we the waterfront really was not what we ever anticipated. But that's when we began Gig City. I mean, we yeah. started through something called MetroNet. That's when we built with Claude Ramsey Enterprise South and attracted Volkswagen. It's where we began to focus on our low, uh, low, our schools that were low performing and so much, uh, uh, but we did it together. In other words, we did it with involvement of people throughout the community through partnerships, through public-private partnerships, and that was the power of it. And public-private partnerships have the ability to sustain things beyond, beyond uh, any particular mayor. And so, you know, it sounds like from, you know, the very early days, one of the things you're, you're really proud of was the foundation of Chattanooga Neighborhood Enterprise. And, you know, as, as your time as mayor of Chattanooga, what, what's kind of the one thing you're most proud of from those days? Well, I've just had lunch with a gentleman. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know that I can say what I'm most proud of. <laughs> I, look, I, I loved all the things we did uh, working with neighborhood groups in the inner city. Um, but I'll, I'll just rattle off things. Look, I'm, I'm really proud of, of uh, the fact that we've become Gig City and launched it then. I'm really glad that our city is known for the outdoors that it is today. Yeah. We launched the Outdoor Initiative, one of the most powerful things. We focused on public art. We brought, you know, we laid the groundwork for Volkswagen to be brought in through Enterprise. I mean, I, just all of those things. But I think the focus, too, on the digital city 
is led to us being where we are today, where this right. podcast is taking yeah. place, and that is the whole goal. And one of the most proud things, as I think about it, I look at you and your age, and I walk down the hallway here uh, in the building we're in and see these young entrepreneurs, was one of the mo- things I'm most proud of is until those things happened from 2001 to 2005, the young people in our community were leaving. They would be educated here. They would move to other cities. Now the reverse of that is happening. And that, I think, um, maybe I'd say, maybe that's the thing I'm most proud of is that people like you and others in this building and throughout the city have decided that this is a really cool place to be. There's tremendous opportunity for them. And the quality of life and just the way people are relative to their values, uh, their civic involvement, this is a place they want to be a part of. Maybe that's what I'm most proud of. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Abby Garrison and I were just talking about this. You know, after college, she went to San Francisco. I went to Florida. But now, you know, living in Chattanooga, we see so many of people coming here after college or having a friend who moved here and then just seeing the quality of life and the opportunity and the beauty of this place, uh, their friends end up following them here. I see that all the time with the camp house and the people who come into there. So absolutely, the quality of life here is fantastic. Well, in 2006, you were elected to the U.S. Senate and you've been serving the U.S. Senate since 2007. And, you know, I think one of the, I don't think it'd be unfair to say, and you can tell me if it is, but over that tenure, obviously a lot has happened in our country. Mm. And a lot of people would characterize the government as being fairly divided politically over that time. However, I think if anybody were to name people who did their best to work across the aisle and, and be bipartisan, I think your name would come up in that conversation, right? Like uh, I think you were part of the Gang of Ten, which was a, a bipartisan initiative. And even the, the, the most current legislation, which we're going to get into talking about, has widespread uh, bipartisan signatures to it. And so, you know, I kind of want to know from you, what is, what is that like? Why, why have you been able to cultivate that within the U.S. Senate? Well, I go back to what you were talking about uh, during the time here as mayor. I mean, you know, we worked with people from all walks of life. And, and by the way, Chattanooga has been going on an upward trajectory now for 30 years. Think about it. And people have done that in and out. Some of it's been public sector. Some of it's been private sector. But we collectively, as a community— with people of all different kind of backgrounds for 30 years have continued on an upward trajectory and you get to the senate and it's not like you forget that okay it's just how we um have operated i will say that city high school uh, gave me a pretty good education and i can count Uh, and you know the fact is that if you're going to pass something in the united states senate you need 60 votes uh, and so uh, no party has had, well, I guess for a brief period of time, the Democrats had 60 votes uh, by themselves. But generally speaking, in the Senate, you've got to have bipartisan support to make anything big happen. And so, uh, and it's just our nature. I mean, look, I don't want to uh, uh, pass something down partisan line, lines and then the next group of people come in, the, the, you know, the majority changes and they want to get rid of that bad old thing that happened you know, under only one party control. So, it, look, it's just the way that, uh, again, let's, let's just say this. I think we hopefully have taken a little bit of Chattanooga and Tennessee with us to the United States Senate and understand that the way you get things done over the long haul, things that are going to stand the test of time as you do it uh, by working with people on both sides of the aisle so that yeah. it becomes permanent. 
So you credit a lot of your experience as mayor in Chattanooga as what's, you know, kind of made your tenure in the U.S. Senate as successful as it's been. Well, I think in business, too. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of contracts that, you know, negotiate around the country to build shopping centers or whatever. I don't, you know, in every case, it's got to work for both sides. And matter of fact, I would say, generally speaking, uh, business people who go to serve in the public arena, you carry with them uh, the trait of understanding that it's got to work for both sides or every side or it's not going to work. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm used to working in a community. The mayor's office is not a partisan job. Um, it's a job where you, again, it create a vision. You put first things first. You work with others to make that happen. And, and uh, that's what we've attempted to do in the Senate. Great. Well, like I said, you've been in the Senate for 10 years now, and, um, and a lot's happened in those 10 years. Uh, so kind of, I'm just interested if, if you, you know, what's been like the hardest moment of your time in the Senate so far? Oh, you know, I came into the Senate and um, went on the banking committee after being there a year, and we went through the financial crisis. And, you know, it's a time where you're earning your pay. Um, you know, we, it, there were heady times uh, when we really thought the country could collapse and people would be riding on the streets when they couldn't get money out of the ATMs. Literally, we thought we were just days away from that. And so I went into a period of time where I was at the center of the universe in many ways, center of what was happening in Washington as a very young senator. And then we went through a phase of about three years where it was just nothing. I mean, it was just absolute nothing was happening. And it was... uh, and I think that was probably the lowest point where you begin to ask yourself, you know, is it worth a grown man's time mm. to be in the United States Senate with nothing happening? Fortunately, yeah. we were able to move beyond that. I'm now chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, very active on banking and budget. And we're in a different place now where, where things are happening. We're able to be successful. And, I mean, believe it or not, I know the American people, you know, don't view it this way necessarily, but most people who – commit their time to being away from their family a decade now uh, to serve in Washington. Most people that are there do it because they want good things to happen for the country. They want to uh, be productive. And um, I think the tough, toughest time, Matt, was that period of time when it, you know, it was like watching paint dry, where nothing <laughs> was happening to move our country ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, moving ahead to now and, and, you know, speaking about your role with the Foreign Relations Committee, you have recently penned a a bill starting last year, our initiative, an act that has recently passed, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Called the um, End Modern Slavery Initiative. And so I'd love for you to talk as we as we get into this. This is all about ending human trafficking throughout the world. And I just think this is uh, such an amazing thing that our senator that we can be proud of as Chad Nugans, as Tennesseans, that our senator is the primary sponsor of this new initiative. And so, you know, I'm kind of interested to hear from you before we actually talk about the bill itself. Yeah. Uh, how, how did this get on your radar? How did you become so passionate about this that you wanted to be the big proponent for this? Well, I mean, I, I give huge credit to Todd Womack, our chief of staff, who uh, is from Chattanooga also, who commutes up each week like I do. But uh, Todd had been visiting Hilton Head with his family, and there's a church down in Atlanta called Passion Church that yep. I've visited many yep. times, and Todd has too, and listens to their podcast, I know, but um, he passed through with his family and heard a speaker talking about modern slavery. Uh, I think you know there's 27 million people 
enslaved today more than at any time in the world's history. 27 million people right now while we're on this podcast, 27 million people are living in slavery. And then he came back through, I think, about six months later again, passing through with his family and goes to a service. And uh, the person speaking said, talking about who was going to, how we're going to deal with this. And the person said, if not you, Mm. who? And so he came to Washington uh, the next week. We travel up separately and and, uh, share with me what had happened. Um, We had a gentleman come into the office named uh, Gary Haugen, who had written a book about it, who spends his life trying to end slavery around the world. He came into our office. There were multiple staff follow-ups. We were heading on a trip to Southeast Asia uh, in the fairly near future to deal with some of the trade issues, China issues, South South China Sea issues. And we specifically set aside some time to be in the Philippines where we met with some about 20 young people who had been enslaved in sexual servitude had been sent away to Malaysia and brothels for years and years and years and a group had this group Gary's group actually was restoring them had dealt with them through the legal process and we met with the Filipino uh, we met with the Manila Police Department and others to understand how they were dealing with it what was happening from the prosecution standpoint and I saw First of all, victims, which once you see that, it's difficult to yeah. sort of like the two boys at Chesney sort of Labor like, Enterprise. Okay, yeah. it's hard. Or visiting hard, Haiti. Yeah. Or visiting Haiti. And so uh, we began, uh, we knew that each year, Matt, people would come up and ask us about incremental ways of dealing with slavery. They always do. Hey, could you help us a little here? Can you help us a little there? We just decided that. There, there was so many efforts uh, that were not coordinated happening around the world. Shouldn't we as a country want to end modern slavery? Shouldn't we as a world want to end modern slavery? Shouldn't we want to attack it much like the world attacked HIV? And that right. is put it on a downward trajectory and eventually end it. And so that's when we began creating, again, a public-private partnership. Yeah. Uh, and I can assure you the thoughts, concepts around that 100% came from uh, our experiences here as mayor, 100%. When, when I saw the, yeah. yeah, when I saw the way it was financed, yeah. I really did wonder that. No, it was exactly around. It tried to build on the successes that we had had here, but also uh, alleviate some of the problems. I mean, this you have this you have to show metrics. Um, any U.S. dollars that go into it have to be matched two to one by foreign governments mm. and three to one by the private sector. So we set up a 501c3 and in the District of Columbia. It'll end up having international board members on it, but its goal will be to end modern slavery, and it has to show, uh, you have to measure how much is taking place and then show metrics as to your results. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, we're on the way. I mean, we've, we've had some appropriations, uh, but what we haven't had is what's called an authorization, and that okay. just passed. And that authorization puts us on a course that, that causes, you know, foreign governments and others, private individuals around the world, to understand that this is in place now. It's yeah. authorized. And uh, we can now start building the kind of partnership that we need to end modern slavery around the world. Yeah, so I'm actually really interested in the foreign partnership piece with the foreign governments. Have you had any other any governments at this point come forward and want to be involved in this? We, we, we have. I mean, again, we just got authorized 10 days ago. Um, but there have been preliminary meetings with uh, countries in Europe. 
when we were at the World Economic Forum last year, I can't in my official capacity actually ask people for money when I'm traveling as a U.S. Senator, but we met with uh, uh, billionaires um, from around the world uh, who have an interest in this, and we met with countries um, that have efforts uh, underway in their own countries. I mean, what is amazing is Interpol, I mean, there's all kinds of entities around the world that are involved in this, but there's not an entity that's pulling together best practices of these entities and, and coordinating and making sure that, uh, again, we've got a, a goal not just to work against it, but yeah. to end it. And so um, I, I really do believe that, uh, you know, as now the hard work begins. I mean, passing the bill is hard, unbelievably hard, hard to understand that a bill to end modern slavery could be this hard to pass, but it was for lots of reasons. But now the hard work begins. I yeah. mean, we've now got to go out and, and raise the money and most importantly, though, put in place those best practices to, to end modern slavery. Well, you know, just on, on passing it and the difficulty you guys had passing that bill, I mean, this seems to be, broad, you know, I, I was looking at the bill online and you can see the senators who signed off on it, and it does seem to have pretty broad bipartisan support. Uh, and, and in fact, it seems one of, one of the better bipartisan yeah. supported bills. Yeah, no question. We, we ultimately passed this uh, through attaching it to the National Defense Authorization Bill, and um, I was very appreciative of Senator McCain hanging tough with me because... <laughs> You know, there, there's always items in a bill that get a lot of attention, and this one did. And, you know, it had the potential to, to derail what he was working on. I mean, we've always passed a national defense authorization bill, but he hung tough. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it, believe me, and let me, I want to make sure, I mean, people understand that ending modern slavery uh, is a, is a, an important and valuable and worthy thing to do. Uh, it's it's this thing is 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 a bold. It's as bold. It's yeah. different. Yeah. You know, it's different than just uh, you know. It'd been easier if we were just appropriating U.S. dollars, believe it or not. But because we want to involve, we want to make this bigger than just the United States. Twelve million of the slaves live in India, for instance. Mm. Twelve million wow. slaves in India alone. So you know, we wanted to make this something that uh, would garner energy from around the world and by the way just to go back to what you were saying about young people here in the community what has stunned me i mean we pursued this because we thought it was something that needed to end what we have found is people in your generation matt yeah. and even younger are on fire about this issue which yeah. obviously warms my heart that we have such a caring you know, one thing uh, we've learned about millennials is this is an, a very, very important issue to them. And, uh, um, you know, we spoke, I guess, at a passion conference last year. I think there were 50,000 young people yeah. tuned in to this. And and uh, this is like their top item is ending modern slavery. So thankfully, uh, your generation and others care deeply about this. And as I mentioned before, Hopefully, in the partnership that we hope we're creating, not just here but around the world, we're going to be successful. Yeah, no doubt. And with millennials ending human slavery is such a is such a big issue, and I think it's because it's only within the last you know it's with this generation within the last five to ten years that the kind of light has been exposed on this issue throughout the world. Because this is this is an issue, and I'm sure you guys are thinking about this, and this is going to be hard to track with your metrics. That's very easy to hide. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it's so underground; uh, it's not obvious in any way. Yeah. Well, it is underground. As a matter of fact, we it's going on here. 
Right, yeah, in the United I mean, States. I mean, a lot of people just still don't realize that the U.S. is a huge market for yeah. uh, the underground slave trade. It's going on in Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, we were able to pass another bill that I didn't take the lead on that John Cornyn did, Cornyn did uh, on to focus on giving the TBI. We've got a wonderful, wonderful uh, lady named Margie Quinn at the TBI who's focused on trafficking here in the U.S. and, and, and in Tennessee, obviously. But we were able, uh, I guess about a year and a half ago, to pass a bill that gave those focusing on trafficking tools that you need in this age. Because as you mentioned, I mean, the Internet, by the way, is the greatest marketer right. of, of the sex trade, right? I mean, yep. unfortunately. And so you got to use modern tools, which tools were antiquated. The tools that we gave, the enforcement officers were antiquated. So we were able to update those, and she now... Um, uh, has those tools and has been very, very effective over the last uh, year or so in, in convicting folks and arresting folks right here in Tennessee, in wow. East Tennessee, okay, East Gosh. Tennessee, right here in Chattanooga, candidly. Um, mm. So, so um, you know, it happens all around the world. Here it's more involving sex trade, but when you get to other places, Asia, it's in brick kilns, uh, rug manufacturing, uh, and fishing, you got young boys who literally are in cages, uh, and they fish them until they, you know, they really have no use to them anymore. They just throw them overboard. You can go to places like Cambodia, and uh, we've heard we actually have people here in Tennessee that have organizations that are pursuing this. But uh, seen five year five year old little girls on the second floor of a window behind bars uh, in a little cage for sale. So it happens here more in the sex trade, but it happens around the world um, in every area, and it's a blight on humankind and uh, something that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that our country, as a result of 10 days ago, is now uh, going to be stepping up in a much bigger way its effort against this. Yeah, so this is this is fresh, huh? This is this just passed ten days ago. Oh, it's uh, it's fresh, and it was look. I mean, just to be honest, it was a uh, uh, touch and go until right up until a few days before it happened. Uh, again, j- just I mean, passing anything in Washington is difficult, um, um, as, as it should be. By the way, you want checks and balances. You want to make sure that things are fu- fully vetted, but. The way this was structured um, to, again, make it into something that, even though it's based here, the international community could get involved in, created some issues that we were able to overcome. Well, that's great. That's so exciting. And, um, and Senator, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's great to be with you, and I thank you for what you guys are doing at the camp house. By the way, that's where I had lunch just a few minutes Fantastic. ago. Fantastic. And uh, I look forward to seeing you on the streets. Thanks a lot, Senator. Thanks Appreciate lot. it. Thank Thank you so much to Senator Corker for taking time over his holiday break to sit down and have this conversation. And like I said at the beginning, this is something that we should all be proud of, that our Congress has passed a bipartisan initiative to end what we can all agree is an evil in our world. And the person who's been fighting for this has been our very own Senator. Now down in the show notes to this episode, I've included a few links for you to read more about the End Modern Slavery Initiative. And there's other links there to some of the organizations we mentioned in this episode including Gary Haugen's International Justice Mission. And I would love for you to share this episode with a friend. It is unfortunate that this isn't bigger news, and people need good news right now. 
So please take a moment and share this with a friend through email, on Facebook, or Twitter, and let's help spread the news about End Modern Slavery Initiative and the incredible step our government is taking to end modern slavery around the world. You can find this episode at thecamphouse.com slash podcast, and from there you'll be able to share that from any platform you want. And as always, I want to thank our studio sponsor, Lamppost Group, for letting us use their studio to record this episode. You can learn more about them at thelamppostgroup.com, and you can check out their podcast in iTunes called Dynamo Discussions. So thank you all for being here. I hope this interview has been very encouraging and exciting to know the incredible steps our government is taking to help fight slavery around the world. So have a great day, and we'll see you here next week.